provocative phrase. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. <laughs> the show that engages with the canon so that you don't have to. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. <laughs> I don't, was that funnier than usual? <laughs> yeah, just the one two bunch of uh, wrist deep in a project. Hello! <laughs> it's an evocative turn of phrase for this week because we're doing pixies and boogie nights. Yeah, does that have to do with? Boogie Nights is about a porn star. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's about porn? Yeah. In the 70s. Okay. At least I think so. Okay. I guess we're starting with Boogie Nights. Okay. So we're doing Boogie Nights and the Pixies. And this is exciting because these are things that we, like, actually, we lied together. Like last week. Boogie Nights. So well that I forgot that it was on the envelope. Like, I didn't, I, I was like, oh, it's just me. Like, I've missed this bus forever. Like, mm-hmm. it's too late for me to know what Boogie Nights is. So I'd better just, like, truly the heart of what this, this podcast aspires to tackle. Yes. Boogie Nights was one of those ones that as soon as I wrote it down, I was like, ooh, that's a juicy one. Yeah. Okay. So I, I genuinely, genuinely feel so lost by boogie nights like for how much i've talked about it yes (laughs) like i have actually no idea like i was like when you just said porn i was like okay i have a vague notion of what it's gonna look like just because the 70s i guess Mm -hmm. 70s and like dim lighting like i'm seeing a lot of like clubs yeah although it is a 90s movie about the 70s it's not a 70s movie Right, but like it's gonna look like yes, the 70s. yes, you're right, you're absolutely right. Although, I guess the 90s doing the 70s is different from, but it's gonna, I feel like it's gonna look more 70s as a style because mm-hmm. it is because it was not filmed in the 70s, you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, when you yeah, make yeah. something, period, you have to try harder to like make everything match the period, yeah, of course. Okay, so I know that for some reason, mm-hmm. but I don't have okay, here's my biggest question. This hasn't come up in a while, but you know how we talk sometimes about like what gets to be silly and what gets to be serious? Yeah. Boogie Nights is something that I genuinely don't know if it's silly or serious. Like every time people talk about it and I pretend that I know what, what they're saying, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're talking about like, is it going to be like silly and pulpy and like dumb? Is it going to be like the funner parts of Pulp Fiction? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be like gritty and terrible? Is it going to be like the less fun parts of Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> mm. Like, I don't, I genuinely don't know. I, I honestly don't know. My impression, just based on the other Paul Thomas Anderson movies I've watched, is that it's going to be more the latter than the former. I'm sort of dreading this one because, <laughs> like, I have watched two and a half Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Which ones? I have watched There Will Be Blood, I have watched Phantom Thread, and I have watched Half of Licorice Pizza. I have not met a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I Oh my enjoyed. God, I literally forgot that Licorice Pizza was also. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, so I have also watched half of it. <laughs> we watched it together. We watched vacation. the same half. Yeah, and then we were like, meh. Yeah, I didn't care for There Will Be Blood. Wait, There Will Be Blood? Yeah, There Will Be there Blood. There Will Be Blood. I'm not even thinking of There Will Be Blood. I'm thinking of Gangs of New York. Ah, a different movie that's too long starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. So I don't, that's all I got on, on, the, on the Paul Thomas Anderson issue. Okay. My understanding is that it is one of the movies that made Philip Seymour Hoffman famous. Okay. I like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like I think he'd been in stuff before, but Boogie yeah. Nights was really like okay, his breakout. Okay. He's in this and, and 
Mark Wahlberg? Yes, Mark Wahlberg yeah, is the okay. lead. Yeah, okay. So I have a weird soft spot for Mark Wahlberg as a performer. That is weird because I feel like most people have the opposite. abuser? Is he a famous abuser of some kind? Um, Do we hate him for a reason? Yes, he beat the ever-loving crap out of someone yeah, in okay. his 20s and like half-blinded them and never apologized. Okay, like, yeah. yeah, that's pretty bad. He and I think it was like, racially motivated. It was like really fucked up. I mean, up. Boston. Yeah. Boston knows what it did. Yeah. <laughs> he was kind of scratching for me what like John Cena does now. Mm. Of like hot idiot, but in a really like funny, I want to say clippy, but that's not really a word, but you know what I mean? Like clippy, yeah, like, like self-aware kind of way. Yeah. Like the character is a hot idiot, but the person behind the character is probably much smarter than they're letting on. Yes. Like how Lisa Kudrow is like the, the, yeah. the, the male bimbo yes bimbo. i'm not gonna like go to a mark Wahlberg movie like for, i'm not like when's his next project sure but like when i show up at the cinema and he is there like more times than not i'm like glad that mm-hmm. he's there yeah yeah i mean i say that with with reservations because i also have this general sense that like the the man behind the artist is a shitbag <laughs> yeah unlike john cena yeah who is apparently like a gem yeah just a real charmer yeah, that's really we're reaching the limits of what I know. I know it's about the adult film industry in the 70s in Los Angeles. I was going to ask that. It is about L.A., yeah? That is it my has understanding. It has to be if it's about porn. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this movie has come up. If I were making this envelope that has all the things that we want to do for this podcast on it, if I were making that in Oakland, I would never put Boogie Nights on it. Boogie Nights never came up ever in my life until I moved to L.A., and now it comes up all the fucking time. Every man in L.A. wants to talk to me about Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me that it's like kind of a navel gaze sing sort of film. Yeah, and it is also like the film broiest film bro movie. Like even when I was yeah. at my peak film bro, I remember being like, "Oh man, Boogie Nights. Oh, that seems like it's gonna be a lot." <laughs> yeah. Like every time I just like could have watched it or done anything else, and I always picked anything. This else. is making me feel pretty nervous about it. I did not know. I thought it was about like club promotion or some shit i really did not know that it was about porn and that makes me look forward to it a lot less because i hate projects by men about the porn industry yeah i just never it just doesn't ever go well it's like they think men think it's gonna be interesting they're like you know what i'm very interested in Mm -hmm. porn i bet everyone else is too this is gonna be this is inherently this is gonna be really interesting for everyone else outside of my head and my penis also Mm -hmm. um and it's not yeah I believe the name Dirk Diggler is involved in this movie. I think that's Mark Wahlberg's character. I don't know. Okay. I'm also, I'm setting the bar low so that I have the opportunity to be pleasantly surprised. Sure. But this is one of those ones where I'm fully prepared to send this one off a cliff like we did Chinatown. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'll lower my bar because I was planning on at least enjoying some of the design and like probably definitely the soundtrack. I'm sure all of that's going to be and great. like, I don't know, just kind of like floating through. I was hoping it was going to be the fun parts of Pulp Fiction, but now I feel like that's probably not. We'll see. I, I could be wrong. Because I do. I can't, I can't get through some like stupid boy stuff if it's like cheeky. Like I like, even though I know we kind of came for Napoleon Dynamite, but like there was a lot of it that I was like, that's cute. Like it, that's, a, it, it's yeah. easier for me to like find the fun in that mood of stupid boy stuff than mm-hmm. like, ugh so much darkness (laughs) yeah we'll we'll see we'll see what it is i will say i do appreciate this movie for being part of the reason fiona apple doesn't do cocaine anymore (laughs) 
that's a fun trivia. I don't know that I've told this story on air before, but I have told it to you because I think it's very funny. I forgot it. So back in the day, Fiona Apple, before Paul Thomas Anderson got together with Maya Rudolph, Paul Thomas Anderson used to date Fiona Apple. Okay. And back in the day, according to Fiona Apple, according to Fiona Apple, they used to do a lot of cocaine. Yeah. And one day- I don't think that's a- um... Like a, a garden secret. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am relaying has, what Fiona Apple has said publicly she has in news stories. Cocaine face. Yes. So apparently back in the mid 90s, right after Boogie Nights came out, she and Paul Thomas Anderson went to a quote unquote party at Quentin Tarantino's house. And it was just the three of them staying up all night doing cocaine. She said that nothing bad happened to her. No one was in any way inappropriate to her. But Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino were so fucking annoying yeah. the entire night just swinging their dicks metaphorically at each other about how good Boogie Nights was and how much everyone loved Pulp Fiction that after that night she was like, you know what? I'm never doing cocaine again. And she never did. <laughs> okay, so- um, Like, can you imagine being so <laughs> annoying yes, that you yes. make people quit a highly addictive oh, drug? no, I cannot. But I can, I can imagine being so annoyed. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely imagine that Quentin Tarantino is that person. Oh, yeah. Uh, a person that I know in, in Los Angeles told me once that they, they were introduced to Quentin Tarantino at a party. As this, this person is in the industry. It's like not as a fan. Mm-hmm. Like writer meet writer. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Shake hands. And they like turn towards each other <laughs> and we're just like immediately... Like the way she describes it, it's just like 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 they just locked eyes and were like, "I hate you." <laughs> <laughs> like she just like took one look at him and was like, "Sorry to this man." <laughs> yeah, I don't need this. I don't. I don't need whatever this is. Like she describes it as weird. Like the person was like doing the intros and they like looked at each other and then just both like turned and walked away. Like they didn't even do the handshake or like wow. try to have a, a like a small talk. They like both knew that it was not worth getting to the ends of everyone's names. That's very funny. <laughs> right? Yeah. If I'm guessing this person correctly, I'm not going to name any names. It's like the opposite of their interaction with Sam Shepard. Yes. <laughs> not going to blow up her spot. Yeah. Honestly, I really think it would be fine. The Sam Shepard thing, I'm sure she would be delighted to brag about. Yeah. I mean, it's brag worthy. He's got the right stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. a deep cut Sam Shepard joke. I was just about to ask if you think you're going to like this movie, but I feel like both of us are like, okay. Uh, yeah, I was planning on I was planning on disliking it, but I'm now even just since this conversation, I'm now planning on disliking it even more. I was planning on disliking it amiably, and now I'm planning on disliking it crankily. <laughs> disliking it derogatory. Yes, that's fair. I think I'm leaving my heart open to be pleasantly surprised because I know if I go in expecting not to like it, I'm just gonna pick at it, even if it does stuff well. But uh, I'm also willing to come on and tell everyone to skip it. So. We'll see. Okay. Pixies. Yeah, listen, I don't know. I got one song. I got one song. We've all got one song. We've right. all got the same one song, yeah. and it's a good one. So what's the rest of it? I mean, yeah, it's like that That song, the song is Where Is My Mind, guys. Mm -hmm. It is in the end of Fight Club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you didn't know what that song is called, it's called Where Is My Mind, and it's by the Pixies. And it's like so good. Yeah. Like it has a an originality to it. Like it has a singularity mm -hmm. to it. But it's also like kind of playful and like it's pretty poppy. Mm -hmm. But it's also. It's really singular. Yeah. 
I think at the time, my impression of it, because when I first heard it, I was like, oh, when did this song come out? Like the early aughts? No, it came out in 1988. Yeah. So I found that out because I went to go put it on my 90s playlist because mm-hmm. I associated it with the movie Fight Club. <laughs> right. Um, And then I went to the album and it was like 1988 and I was like, what? And now, honestly, I'm it's on my 80s playlist, but I think I'm just going to move it because... It sounds like a 90s it, song. Yeah, it sounds like a 90s song. But it also, like, I feel like it informs, like, that song alone sounds to me like The Shins, mm-hmm. but also like The Flaming Lips, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of, like less, less folky, more guitar-ier yeah. music. I just feel like it really was like a, a a a watermark for a lot or like a like a seed yeah it sounds to me my understanding from the culture is that pixies were really a, the sea change that a lot of people attribute to nirvana yeah really did start with pixies because with because pixies were kurt cobain's favorite band like without sure. pixies there is no nirvana and without nirvana there's not 90s music yeah so but that's wild that like nirvana and that you can hear nirvana and the shins or like fucking like flight of the concords <laughs> i wasn't expecting that one but yeah like, okay maybe that's a little bit of a stretch who's like the shins like what's another one that's that's exactly like that there were a bunch for a minute there uh postal oh, service all those guys sure yeah <laughs> i'm laughing at how i always think that i know a postal service song and it always turns out to be a death Cab for cutie song other way around. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> that's wild that that's all in this one song. And we don't even know the rest of the Pixies. No. We don't even know the rest. So I'm I'm curious to hear what is the rest because it's like, why don't I know it? Is it not as good? The Pixies, it's like so, sorry, Pixies or the Pixies? I think it's Pixies. Just Pixies. So just like craft, they're just under the radar somehow. And why? Yeah. Also, I should say, we both have lied about how much we know Pixies within the last two weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like, totally, yes, absolutely. totally. Yes, yeah, yeah, Pixies, yeah. so influential, so mm-hmm. important. So, okay, yeah, I'm I'm curious about this. This, I think I, I am going to like. I hope that I do. I think so, too. I am also interested because these are this is one of those bands that they had a four, al- four albums in three years, then they broke up for 10 years, then they came back, and then for 10 years they were just touring, and then starting in like, 2016 they released another four albums most recently being last year okay so i'm definitely going to focus most of my attention on their original run of albums i'll check out the more recent ones just to see what's going on i hope what if where is my mind is like a very medium pixie song then i think we're in for a good time (laughs) (laughs) what if they're all that good i mean remember when we did arcade fire and we were like i mean what else you got besides wake up and it turns out it was like wake up yeah wake up is still the top but like everything else is really good yeah so or evanescence (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm very excited to do pixies i think it's gonna be fun yeah we will go away and when we come back we will let you know what we think hello welcome back hi everyone uh let's try it again (laughs) did you forget how our podcast works this time yep it was me this time (laughs) hello welcome back we're in the future we are here in the future to talk about the pixies and boogie nights yeah well okay but as you keep saying to me it's pixies Pixies. yes pixies (laughs) which is uh, I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've given it some thought, and I think that if you name your band something plural, mm-hmm. you can't 
get mad when people add a the. Yes, this is true. There's a joke about how it's counting crows and not the counting crows. <laughs> right. And also, oh, I told you this when I discovered that it's that it's just eagles. Yes, that's <laughs> fucked up. That's <laughs> fucked up. That's not cool. But then I was like, but I would never do that with like Nirvana. I would never be like the Nirvana. Yeah. Why is this hard? And I think it's just the plurality. Yeah. Just don't do that. Be one thing or be the somethings. Yeah. And don't try to be, don't be a gerund counting crows. Yeah. Like nobody needs that. Yeah. All right. We're going to start with Pixies. Yeah. And in deference to all you Pixies fans out there, we'll say Pixies a couple times at the top, but we're probably going to switch back and forth. And y'all are just going to have to be okay with that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I just explained it to them. Yes, you did. <laughs> so they, they can suck it. Yes. All right. Count of three. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Fuck you. Uh, like, oh. oh, I guess I didn't. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't feel that strongly. Let's try it one more time. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll count you in again, but only if you keep the first one also. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I have no control over that. One, two, three. Ugh, just Meh. so much. Meh. Yeah. Okay. Up top, I know that the Pixies are very well respected for being very influential and very groundbreaking. And I feel like for something on our show to wind up on the curriculum or in the canon, whatever, it needs to be some combination of well-made, respected, and enjoyable sure yes and we have had yeah the last one's like pretty i i I feel that that is the part that a a lot of people who decide these things are just not considering at all yes and i feel like for us like it's supposed to hurt yes culture is supposed to hurt exactly fun culture isn't fun yeah we've had a couple begrudging additions to the curriculum that were so influential and so well done that we were able to forgive a little bit of a lack of enjoyability just based on age. Yes, absolutely. The problem with including stuff in a curriculum or a canon or what have you because it's groundbreaking is sometimes when something is groundbreaking 35 years ago and everyone else spends (laughs) the next 35 years building on it, by the time you come to it, you go, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And that is how I felt about 90% of the Pixies music that we listened yeah, to. Yeah, like the ground has had already been broken. Yeah. Like I went into this project wondering why is Nirvana still a household name even though they only released four albums and the Pixies are not a household name even though they're very well respected in music. And I have my answer. It's because Nirvana did it better. Yeah. Or they built on the foundation and created something more accessible, more enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. I went into this hoping that it was going to be like a fun secret treasure trove. Yeah. Of hidden where is my minds. And Mm -hmm. it it was not that. It was not. And I, for one, am, in addition to being annoyed, I am also pretty disappointed because this has been on the envelope since the beginning and in fact the pixies were on the original list for the last time you tried to do yes, this yes the podcast. other time i tried to do this podcast we only picked five things to start with and we narrowed it to one album and doolittle was one of those albums mm-hmm. it was among some pretty impressive stuff purple rain like the reason i know purple rain is because it was on the original it wasn't an envelope then but like the mm-hmm. original envelope the pixar cocktail napkin if you will sure of the first iteration of this podcast so 
This yeah. has been a long time coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been supposed to go get to know the Pixies for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And we finally did. And I guess it's like anything like that. It's like it's nice to like link up the little linkity links. Yeah. I mean, I think you said earlier this week, it's like this is how you this is how we get from Velvet Underground to Arcade Fire. Mm hmm. And I like both those things. Yeah. And just like, you know, sometimes the middle step, you don't need it. Sometimes the Neanderthals die. Yeah. But contribute great things to culture in their way. Yeah. Like tools or fire. Mm hmm. Or big eyebrows. Let's talk about what we did like. Okay. Let's talk about what we did like because they're not without value. Obviously. I know. I like really don't want to shit on them because like I get why someone would like them. Yes. I just didn't. I just feel like, but I also, I also, you know, my trick where I just like listen and listen until I mm -hmm. trick my brain into thinking that I yeah. like it. I'm, I'm getting close with Doolittle. I gave up on all the other albums pretty quickly. I could see it happening with Doolittle. There's enough tracks that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll listen to this again. Yeah. Doolittle is recognizably an alt-rock album. Y yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then, okay, and then my other favorite, I'll just say now, was their most recent album, Doggerel. Interesting. That was the other one that I was like, oh, okay, I think I, I could get into, th to, into this if I tried. But I also felt like that's for sure a wrong answer to any Pixies fan or any, like, alt-rock fan. Yeah. Because I think the reason that I like it more is that it is, like, more mainstreamed yeah overproduced you sure might say i listened to the first few songs on dog roll today also on my walk and in the first song their lead singer black francis is like don't waste your time on me and i was like well you don't have to tell me twice and i just like stopped so you said their first ep though was really good and i went back and listened to it on your recommendation and i agree it's very yeah, like i didn't even realize that it wasn't an album i was just like going in order on the album section of their spotify includes so spotify doesn't know what to do with eps sometimes they're singles yeah. and sometimes they're albums and so like i was just like oh this is an album that's only 20 minutes long let me listen to it first because it's first and it gave me i was like oh this is gonna be fun that it also gave me like too much hope i think but now that we're talking about it i'm like that's three different ones that i'm like that one was pretty okay so i don't know why i'm being so like such a negative nancy it just like didn't really grab and like i did enjoy dog girl but i it's not like i could hum you anything off of it i'm not gonna like pull it up later and be like oh yeah this track i can't live without in my life and that's gonna like make me listen to the whole album again like i just as i was listening to as much pixies as possible that mm -hmm. album felt a little i was like oh I hate this less. Yeah. Not hate. I'm checking the time less. Yeah. So going into this, I read some of their copy. By the way, the Pixies Spotify page is a full disaster. Like their like album their list is me. Oh, yes. Oh, my so God. Yes. Yes. Long. Yes. <laughs> they have like 25 live albums. Yeah. From the last like two years. But anyway, when I was reading about them, they always talk about how Doolittle is one of the most well-respected alt-rock albums of all time. And Surfer Rosa, this album that Where Is My Mind is from, is gold certified. So basically, well-respected album and also well-selling album. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why Surfer Rosa isn't as well-respected as Doolittle. Yeah. And then I started with Surfer Rosa, and by the third song, I was like, oh, I understand why. This yeah, it's just this is a fucking great. disaster. This is yeah. so annoying. Yeah. 
they managed to do both the Velvet Underground thing of it really just sounds like we're fucking around sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the Tom Waits thing of everything is very meticulous. And what I have chosen to meticulously put together is the sound of a bunch of instruments being thrown down a flight of stairs. Yeah. I'll listen to I really don't have a problem with cacophony. I feel like there were also I can't tell you any of them, but I feel like there were also like a couple lyrical turns on Doggerel that I was like, oh, that's clever. And maybe there were in the earlier albums, too, but I just like couldn't hear them because of the way that the vocals are produced. Yeah, the vocals are like so lo-fi and blended in that you can't. Like, I'm someone who... We've been spending the last couple weeks, you guys, walking around the house going, (laughs) except little fish? (laughs) Yes, we have. And, like, all their other songs, like, whenever, just any of their songs, whenever they're saying things, I feel like they're talking about water a lot. Mm -hmm. Or just animals or exceptions. And There's just a lot of of different occasions to to say back to them, except little fish? I am someone who, I've said this on the podcast before many a time, I have a hard time picking out lyrics the first few times I listen to a song. I have listened to a lot of these Pixies songs, and I should say, from their original run, that's mainly where I focused, multiple times, and I still couldn't tell you three words together from any of them other than Where Is My Mind. Except a little fish. Oh, Other than Where Is My Mind. mind, Not the words, Where Is My Mind. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Gigantic, gigantic. Oh, a big, big love. Yes. Okay. Um, that's a fun, that's a fun, playful little song. I was surprised that it was them. That was like one of the ones that I was like, oh, this, I do know this. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, I didn't really, I don't love it. I felt the same kind of surprise at Here Comes Your Man. I was like, oh, this is them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The other one that I was like surprised that I knew was um, the one that goes, la, la, love you. Oh Tell yeah, the one that the, the one that sounds like they're making fun of the Smiths because yes. they probably yeah, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do appreciate that they were playing with genre a little bit. And yeah. like sometimes they were more punk, sometimes they were more surf rock, and sometimes they were just know, like I'm, dunking on Morrissey. The whole time that I was listening to them, I was like, is this punk? Is it punk? I don't I don't know. I'm a little bit spooked by I, what you said in our sex pistols episode of like punks are so protective of what punk is yeah i know it's like but it there's something really punky about them and it's not really the sound the sound is not unpunky it's kind of more the um vibe yeah but i i don't know how because i did no research whatsoever i don't really know how to tell you how the vibe is sep- is distinct from the sound there's just something like a little bit sort of like anarchist it feels chaotic. Yeah, it feels, and I think this is deliberate, it feels like thrown together. Yeah, it has that like, do we know how to play these instruments? Doesn't matter kind of thing going. Yeah. And but, I, but they do. Yeah, I would hazard a guess that these are people who are doing the thing where in order to sound cacophonous, you actually have to be very good at what you're doing and very mm-hmm. meticulous. Mm-hmm. I do think that they are all talented in what they are trying to do. And I think that they are to give them credit where credit is due, I think they're doing exactly what they set out to do. Yeah. I don't think they're trying to be a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. They're trying to be nine people's favorite thing. And yeah. I think they're succeeding. And I, yeah, I think, I think they're doing that. And I should also mention that, like, neither of us are really alt-rock people. Not before this. <laughs> sure. But I keep, those keep being the things that I like when we do them. That's why we That's keep true. doing them. That's very true. I know. 
So I don't know. I mean, maybe they just, they have a girl, but not in the front. That's true. She was apparently like very influential in their original run. Like a lot of the reason it sounds the way it sounds is because of her. I feel like I knew that psychically because I feel like the places that sh- that she like pops through a little bit feel very puppet mastery. Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah, I guess that's good. She's not on their new albums. She left the band before oh. they started recording new music. And so okay. the sound of those albums is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that the other block I have with the Pixies, and this is not a dig on anyone that we know personally who likes the Pixies, but the stereotype with the Pixies, particularly Where Is My Mind because of the influence of Fight Club, sure. is that this is like manipulative sad boy music. Sure. And I just could not shake that the whole time. I guess Arcade Fire is so much sadder to me. Yeah, I think... Arcade Fire is also manipulative sad boy music. Yeah, it definitely is. And I like really liked that. Yeah. I think I'm holding a lot of guilt right now about how much I liked Arcade Fire compared to how much I liked Pixies. <laughs> yeah, because they... I feel stupid about it, but that's just it's just the truth. It's also 15 years of musical evolution between them. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you, yeah, you just, sometimes you just don't want every stepping stone. What did I say before that I don't like Chekhov plays? Yeah. Like Chekhov is how you go from the Greeks to August Osage County. And I like both those things, but I don't really want to go to your Chekhov play. Sorry. I know it. I know it's like really important to Uh how theater got to be how it is, but ugh. My undergraduate, we could not stop talking about Jagoff. Yeah. I feel that way about a lot of Brecht. Yeah. And I feel like similar thing. Like, we don't get Tony oh, Kushner without Brecht. Brecht, but I would much rather watch Tony Kushner than Brecht. Yeah, absolutely. I hate Brecht, and I don't worry about it. And I, I, I don't hate Chekhov, but I, I don't enjoy it, and I do worry about that. I feel sure. really, like, remiss mm-hmm. in not, not thinking about Masha all the time. <laughs> Every one of them has a Masha. There's always a Masha. Yeah. I mean, just looking at what we've done on this show, I feel like a good comp for how we seem to feel about Pixies is like how you felt about Psycho, which is like, thank you. Yes. Yes. See where it started is good. Interesting exercise. Don't need it. Yeah. I think it's just like harder for me to say that about music than Mm -hmm. about movies, especially about music. I do think I feel very similarly, but it was just easier I felt a lot less conflicted about it because I don't feel as much attachment to the horror genre. Sure. And I don't feel as much attachment to like movies. Sure. <laughs> so to be like, thank you for your service. I-, I don't know. I just don't feel as as like personally indebted. Whereas this is like, I know I can hear all the music that I do like that came out of this. Mm-hmm. And I just feel, I, I wish I loved it. I, I really do. Where's My Mind is, a, is an incredible song. It really and is. And I, oh, wait, I want to talk. What's the other song that I'm obsessed with? Silver. Silver. That is a good one. We spent a little while today talking about Silver and like what, what I don't know. I don't know what they put in. Well, I do. It's a waltz. That is always going to help me. But whatever, whatever, whatever weird shit they were pulling with that, I want a playlist that is songs that are like this. Mm-hmm. It has like swamp vibes to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's like Louisiana. I, I, don't, I don't know that part of the country very well, but it sounds like you would play it in a swamp. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And mm-hmm. I want a swamp playlist. Yeah. 
Swamp Tour playlist. Yes, and I feel like that. Wait, what? Swamp Tour playlist. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> you said Swamp Core. Swamp Core. I wish I'd said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I feel like there are some Tom Waits tracks that would go on there. Oh yeah. You brought up Venus and Furs, which I absolutely think is like the brain massage that I like about Venus and Furs is absolutely in conversation with Silver, but it doesn't feel as swampy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like like it feels more arty. And Silver feels like my car broke down and then these people were like, do you want to come to our event mm-hmm. <laughs> at the community center? Yeah. And then and then the local music was this. Yeah. And the event was a demonic possession. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Our conversation about the Pixies is making me think of our conversation about Kate Bush. Okay. And how I think both of us were like, Man, I I wish. I yeah. really wish, yes. but I can't. Yes. Intellectually I feel about about Pixies the way I felt about Psycho, but emotionally it's much closer to Kate Bush. That's yeah. true. Although I think emotionally for me, there's more Kate Bush that I would return to. There's at least one Kate Bush album that if you threw that one on, I wouldn't reach a point of being like, This needs to stop. Which is how I feel about every Pixies album about 20 minutes in, is I'm like, please, no more. Oh. Please stop. There's plenty of Kate Bush albums where I feel like that, too. No, but... I would rather listen I would rather listen to Doolittle than any Kate Bush album. Really? Even Hounds of Love? Yes. Oh. Remember the second half of Hounds of Love? I do, but... If it was only the first half of Hounds of Love, but that's not what you said. You said I don't get to stop after 20 minutes. Yeah. No, but the second half isn't as interesting as the first half by far, but it also isn't like atonal cacophonous craziness like some of her other albums are start to finish. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But Like, I just wouldn't pay as much attention to the back half of Hounds of Love, but there are times in every Pixies album where I'm like, I I can't. Be quiet, be quiet. Yes, exactly, where I'm like, stop, stop, Francis, stop, Francis, stop. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that, but I, I think I pushed to a, a place of familiarity where I, I don't, the, yeah, the a cacophony just doesn't get to me that way. Huh. The difference is in the incentives and not the, whatever, the, the negatives. Mm-hmm. There's more that I want to listen to on Doolittle than there is that I don't want. Yeah, that makes sense. So, who are the Pixies for? I mean, okay, I feel like if if you if you like the other alt rocks, mm-hmm. I feel like you should give it your own go. Like don't just listen to us, like give it a go. Yeah. I feel like if you're if you're into punk yeah. and you're like how does it how does this bear out mm-hmm. as it shatters and refracts? Mm-hmm. I can think of a lot of like curiosities that that, that one would want to answer with the Pixies. Mhm. But not a lot of like like fun reasons. <laughs> yeah, they have a little bit of the Tom Waits thing of like, when is this for? Yeah, when 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 is it? Yeah, I can think of who, but I'm not sure when. Yeah, like, just pop it on in the car, I guess. Go listen to Silver and see if it does anything for you, and put Where Is My Mind on your '90s playlist, even though it was made in the '80s. Yeah, and and I I think you're good to go. Yeah. At their best, they sound very ahead of their time, which is really fun. Yeah. 
I just like I would rather listen to like any time that they remind me of the Velvet Underground. I'm like, I wish I was listening to Velvet Underground. Same. And any time they remind me of Nirvana, I'm like, I wish I was listening to Nirvana or Arcade Fire. Yeah, I yeah, have the same yeah, feeling. Yeah, like so, just go listen to those things. Yeah, and like I, I really do want to emphasize that I do want to give them credit for experimenting and taking a lot of big swings. Yeah. Because that is how they got the good stuff that they got, but. At the same time, I'm not really interested in the experimentation that they did that didn't work. Sure. The one alt-rock band we didn't mention that I think if you are a fan of them, you really should go back for the Pixies if you haven't, is the Smashing Pumpkins. Because yeah. when I listened to them, I think I said this to you after I had only listened to like one or two other albums once, I was like, oh, so Billy Corgan just ripped off Black Francis's sound yeah, it's for very, his voice. It's very Smashing Pumpkins. And in fact, I went and I looked it up and... Billy Corgan has said that Surfer Rosa was one of the biggest influences on them. Yeah, oh yeah, that does not surprise me at all. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence. No, it's not. <laughs> I would definitely feel, I feel a lot more, like, dignified going to listen to Pixies than Smashing Pumpkins, but I, I think that, that's a good example to me because it's, it's a, I don't really like Smashing Pumpkins that much. Mm -hmm. So that makes me feel like, okay, maybe there is just, like, kind of a, there's just like one of the threads, one of mm -hmm. the alt threads is just like not doing as much for me as some of the other threads. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that is the part of our stated goal was to create a subjective curriculum. Yeah. And like, truth be told, I think we're just both people who I think you, you said it exactly right. This thread of alt rock stuff just doesn't work as well yeah, for us. Because I have tried to listen to like other Smashing Pumpkin songs that aren't their most famous songs. And it's I didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> it did not feel worth my time i just was like can you just do the the one good one tonight tonight two, the two good ones yeah yeah mostly tonight tonight and i think part of what i like about it is how produced it is yeah <laughs> and like arranged and like froofy mm -hmm. tonight tonight is the opposite of silver it's very froofy yes and i like that and i don't need to hear them do their more raggedy stuff yeah i agree if someone came up to you at a party and told you that their favorite band was Pixies, what would you do? I think it's not a red flag to me. I know there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I guess the way that it could be a red flag is if you're saying that, I guess I just would believe you. Like if you're, try if you're saying that because you think it's a cool answer, mm -hmm. which I would suspect, I think, of mm -hmm. a lot of people who would say Pixies. Yeah. But I also just feel like there's a lot of reasons that other people would like them. Like, why would you lie about that? Like, I think if like if it seems like, oh, no, that just is their favorite band, then I'd be like, right on. Yeah. I don't know what to say to you about it. I mean, OK, let me let me qualify my prior statement. So we have a friend of the pod who recently told us that his favorite band was the Pixies. He's also 45 years old. So it makes sense that if the Pixies was the music you were listening to when you were 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would love it. Yeah. Then, like, <laughs> of course that's going to stick with you in the same way yeah. that, like, you know, Gaga sticks with us because yeah. it was the music that came out when we were 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. So, like, music at a formative age. Yeah. You really start totally. grading on a curve. Britney. Britney. Yes. Avril Lavigne. <laughs> sure. Yes. Sometimes it just hits you in the right spot. And so, like, for him who, like, is a very, like, alt person, and if he was like, oh, yeah, and he said, oh, my favorite band is the Pixies, that didn't surprise me at all. It also didn't concern me. The younger you get, though... Yeah, I think how old are you is a big follow-up If someone, if a 25-year-old... How old are you and how are you dressed? Yes, if a 25-year-old came up to me and was like, oh, my favorite band is the Pixies, I'd be like, uh-oh. 
Yeah, Uh-oh. a 25 year old in like a polo shirt. Yes. I'd be like, nope. Yeah, obviously this all comes with the caveat of like, if someone's like, oh yeah, I'm an alt musician and my favorite band is the Pixies and I'm oh, 25, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Like you've done the homework yeah. and you've come to this decision. But yes, some broy schmuck trying to talk to me about music and telling me that their favorite band is the Pixies. Yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Especially if they like need me to know. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say about like if I feel like it's a little bit performative. Yeah. Then I I feel like that says a lot. But I just also feel like if that's what you're performing, there's better ways. But I mean, then that's that's just an even bigger red flag. It's like you're pretentious and you don't know how to like do it well. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how to pick them. Yeah. So is it in your curriculum? I mean, I think I, I think I have to say like with much respect, no. I feel it's, the same way. It's an optional reading. Like I'm not going to tell anyone that they're not important. Yeah. That's, but I mean, I guess that's really the whole point of having the curriculum as opposed to the canon is that that's not what we're saying. Right. What what did we find ha- still carries like a lot of its own value? Right. What are we presenting back to our listeners as like, you really should go check this out. And unless you find yourself falling into any of the categories that we just said, I don't think you're going to have a good time. It's not not a high priority. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're curious, I'm not going to like slap Spotify out of your hand if you tell me that you're interested in (laughs) listening to Pixies. I don't come to your job and slap Spotify out of your mouth. (laughs) And slap the Spotify out of your mouth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you want to take a quick break and then when we come back, talk about Boogie Nights? <laughs> I mean, do I want to? A little preview of how we feel about that. but <laughs> No, that's the we're doing such bad advertising of ourselves. It's going to be fun, you guys. It's going to be fun to listen to us. I'm feeling punchy today, so I agree. Yeah, okay. So yes, yes, I do want to do that. Okay. And we're back. And we're back. All right. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Let's do it. Okay. We, we have not done a very good job concealing our feelings from each other about this one. No. It was too, <laughs> it was too hard. Yeah. There are some movies where we have really been able to like play it very close to the vest. Yes. This was not one of them. Yeah. All right. For the benefit of our readers. Yeah. Three, two, one. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. I no. think. No. No. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Have you heard the Beach Boys? You are done. Yes. That's you des- all you need. You described this today as Pulp Fiction with an Oedipus complex and nothing more accurate has ever been said. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like he watched Pulp Fiction and was like, I would like to make that movie again, please. But how can I make it like interesting and my own? I don't know. For no reason. What if I make every scene kind of a mommy sorry? Yes. When we finished the movie and we watched it in two sittings because it is two and a half hours long. Uh. Because Paul Thomas Anderson has never made a brief movie in his life. This is my fourth Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I have liked none of them. What are they again? I can't remember. There will be blood. And what are the other two? Licorice Pizza. Oh, right. And Phantom Thread. And this one, I was like, I would rather be watching Licorice Pizza and I didn't even finish Licorice Pizza. Yeah, this is the first movie we've ever covered that I sincerely 
considered begging to stop. Like, I honestly considered being like, can we just go back to those microphones and be like, we couldn't do it. Like, I really, really, really thought about that. And then I was like, no, because we don't just do it for you guys. Like, I want to be able to look people in the eye Mm -hmm. who talk about this movie the the way that they do and know know what I'm saying when I say, no, the fuck, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck this movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this movie, I was right. It is about the porn industry. Yes. During the late 70s and early 80s. Yes. Something that I thought of as it was happening, it was made in 1997, so I think it's pretty likely that it was among the earliest big budget attempts at period peaceifying the late 70s and early 80s. Like, it just wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a period before then. Yes. I so I do true. think that that was probably really exciting to go see in a theater. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of, like, excellent design. I think that is the main thing that I enjoyed about the movie is the... Uh, and the, the soundtrack clothes and the sound design yeah yeah the soundtrack is incredible unimpeachable yeah. best part of the movie yeah there was a time where for like 20 minutes of the movie the sound design was just like a low like when you hold the cord close to the input but don't plug it in yes but like a heartbeat yes. kind of it did that it went on for so fucking long and the entire time that it was happening i was like this could be a song right now <laughs> that's what this movie was doing well it's like putting fun 70s songs under all this stuff. Like, why are you making me listen to this? Oh, especially because it is the most, like, emotionally raw part of the movie. I guess it is, but it's like, the way that the storylines are in this movie, it's like, I felt like it was like trying to do some kind of a build or like a a, a plot. I felt like we were plodding Mm -hmm. towards something but we weren't we were just seeing everyone at their own tough moment mm-hmm. that had almost nothing to do with any of the other characters i was very uh impressed in a in a bad way how little they managed to like i'm not sure don Cheadle ever met anyone else in the cast yeah like for someone to to be like one of the main characters of a movie like i don't think he ever speaks to any of the other characters in the movie that's part of what's Pulp Fiction-y about it, but it's not. But in Pulp Fiction, they're, the movie knows that they're separate. They have yeah. like little, they have their own little like title cards. Right. <laughs> in this, it was just like, and sometimes Don Cheadle, I don't know. What I said when we were watching it is I was reminded of Rise of Skywalker, believe it or not. Specifically okay. the review of Rise of Skywalker that I read, which described it as very well acted, well shot, and designed craven desperate filmmaking which i think is a pretty sick burn this movie yes there's a lot of desperation in this movie but i think i think of this movie as being similarly like pretty well acted well shot well designed fucking insufferable man baby nonsense like the whole first hour of the movie is basically just mark Wahlberg being like i'm a little sex god but i'm also mommy's little baby boy yeah and I, I just didn't know what to do with that energy. The fight with the baker's wife. Uh, the baker's wife from the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods is Mark Wahlberg's, Mark Wahlberg's mom. mom. And that and sentence have... alone should probably tell you why we aren't into this movie. Yes, they have the most unhinged, 90s ass, like unmotivated, uninfluenced by cause. Yes. <laughs> by causal chains of any kind screaming fight 
that I've ever like they they truly just scream random things at each other unprompted which I suppose you're gonna say to me not all families are repressed wasps Sydney that that yes I've gotten that note before oh you just don't understand families that scream at each other and that's probably true but it's like even once they start screaming it's like what does any of this have to do with any else of this like they talk like cartoon they talk it's like you're tearing me apart Lisa level yeah. Like hyperbole. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg like, literally. Like he gets in her face and screams like about how like special he is and how yes. he's going to like do something with himself. And I was like, did your, did Save the Cat tell you that you had to write a screenplay this way? That we, that like we need to hear him like declare why this is important to him? I don't know. Yeah. Not like we needed that. He spends a bunch of different scenes in the movie staring at himself in the mirror and going, I'm a star. I'm a big, bright, shining star. He says so many times that he feels like his dick is a gift. I mean, it is important to note the conceit of the movie is Mark Wahlberg plays a 17-year-old. He's very 27. Plays a 17-year-old with a giant dick. A That's huge, a his huge thing. Long, and also he is like pretty cute and charming as Mark Wahlberg is. Yeah. And he can come and still stay hard i guess i don't know he's, yeah he's, he's got a knack for the for the biz yeah but the number of times that they state that like explicitly like in those words that he's like that that he's like i think this is like a really important thing that i've been like trusted with by the universe to like mm -hmm. offer to people and i think it would be selfish of me not to share it like everybody everybody gets something that they get to do for the world and this is my thing yeah he says that like word for word, like four different times. And I, it cannot be anything other than some kind of homoerotic fantasy. I don't know anything about Paul Thomas Anderson. It's, I don't want to like psychoanalyze him. It's not interesting to me, but, the, but he's making me do it because his whole movie is stuff I can tell is just like a, like a, like a, a weird like a sexual fantasy or like a, a like a like a fantasy that lives next to the sexual fantasies mm -hmm. like a steamy fantasy sure like of just what how men's bodies should be treated and mm -hmm. like the things that men should get to do yeah he talks about how special he is and what he has to offer the world so many times that by the end of the movie, I was like, Paul Thomas Anderson, are you just talking about yourself and your abilities as a filmmaker? That's what because I that's tell. what it feels like. Is it is he is he talking about himself or is he writing something that he wishes into existence? Does he feel like he is giving a gift to the world by making these movies or does he wish he felt that way? I think he does, <laughs> just based on the Fiona Apple story that I told in the before oh, times. Yeah, like, I, I know. That, yeah, I think right. that was also coloring my experience of this movie is like, all right, this was Paul Thomas Anderson at his most insufferable cokehead phase. Yeah, it's and very cokey. We watched part of There's Babylon recently. There's a lot of coke recently. in the movie, and, and also the movie operates on coke logic. Yes. A thousand percent. Yeah, when we watched like half of the movie Babylon a couple weeks ago, and people were talking about it as just a bad version of Boogie Nights, which now at least I understand that comparison. Yes. But when we were watching that, I was like, Damien Chazelle clearly wrote Babylon in a weekend on a coke bender. And now watching Boogie Nights, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is what it feels like when a movie's written in a weekend on a coke bender. There's no plot. The dialogue, as you said, is very cartoony. Yeah. But sometimes, like, very high stakes. Yes. 
that's what I'm saying is like I think it, it it I see it coming from some kind of like fevered fantasy of like the things we wish we that we could live either sexually or like just to feel like empowered so then we can have better sex later that day like what did you say about how concerning it is when men need you to know how much they think about the porn industry well listen this is just my anecdotal experience but a a lot of men have taken the time to tell me why they think porn is interesting not just I like and watch porn. Mm-hmm. That's assumed about most modern adults. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to tell me about that, like, that's, I'm not a, that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a narc. But, like, if you want to tell me about, like, like, no, I watch it, like, intellectually. Like, I watch it, like, because porn is really interesting to me. Like, I'm, I really want to know, like, what's going on behind the scenes. I'm interested in the different personalities and the way the industry works and the different, like, the trend, porn trends. Mm-hmm. Just, like, don't lie to me. Like, don't pretend that it's something other than what it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in my real life, when men, there's just some kind of like, I don't know, like a, um, like a testing, they're testing something. They're, they're, they're pushing on something. They're mm-hmm. trying, they're, they're looking for something. Yeah. When they do that, when they talk to me about porn that way. Yeah. It's a testing of boundaries. If someone were to do that to me, it would be a big red flag for me. But that's what I'm saying. Cause I feel like if someone was like, well, no, I mean, it depends on the person, obviously. But, like, I, there, I, I can imagine, like, I, I, I feel like we'd all be better off if we could have, like, more honest conversations about, like, sex stuff. Like, I feel like in our household, we've had some humorous conversations about, like, being baffled by, <laughs> by certain kinds of porn. Sure. Like, if you want to tell me about, like, the, the porn that you discovered, I don't, there's, like, there's a way to do it that doesn't have an agenda. That is yes. just like, this is a naughty topic. Mm-hmm. And is it okay if we talk about this? And then there's a way to do it where it's like, I am cloaking this in this whole like academic so that I can have an agenda about it so that I can be like shady about it somehow. Right. Like I'm not just talking about porn, actually. I'm I'm trying to get you to talk about porn or I'm trying to get, I'm trying yeah. to get some kind of like access to you. I'm trying to get you to this... have a sexualized conversation with me right Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, but I'm not calling it that in a way that is like, yeah. And I, I felt like this movie was doing that to me. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like the, the filmmaking itself was like, like if you're scandalized by this, then like you're. I guess that's on you. Yeah. Then like, then I guess you are like the other girls. And honestly, the f- the movie wasn't that scandalous. No, it's not like, really. How many people got peed on and shit on in the first five minutes of Babylon? <laughs> Two. Yes. How many people got peed on and shit on in this movie? Zero. Zero yes. <laughs> yeah. The I yeah. I think we should say the porn they make is like extremely like straightforward and wholesome. Like. 70s porn yeah yeah well except for that time they try to do some like you can tell by the way my body language is that i'm very uncomfortable even talking about this scene what where heather graham um oh in the limo limo. yeah that's that's an unfortunate but i mean that's that's part of what's hard about the movie to me is it's like what are you saying what are you saying this is just all your random thoughts about porn we've had this whole movie and it like makes such a point to like make mark Wahlberg like he's he's like such a gentleman like He's hung like a horse and he can fuck for days. 
but he's always like like the director will tell him like what to do porn wise and then he'll like check in with julianne moore and be like is that what you want to do and we're supposed to be like wow yeah like wow (laughs) we're both doing a a terrible half-assed jennifer coolidge there (laughs) in case that wasn't clear emma Wahlberg is so good at fucking (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's what we're doing and we're and he's like He's just this like bright eyed little kid that's like, I just love porn and this is my gift. And like, yeah. I'm just happy to share it with everyone. And then William H. Macy murders his wife and some other person and then shoots himself in the head at a house party. And there are no consequences that it's just never mentioned again. Yes. And then later in the movie, there's this like weird, unfortunate horny encounter between Heather Graham, who is often Mark Wahlberg's scene partner, and like some random kid they pick up on the street. I yeah, guess. who it turns out went to high school with her. Sure, yeah, and like it, uh, like it, it, it doesn't go well. He gets asked to leave the car, and then she just like kind of loses her shit on him, but in this very like male gaze kind of way mm-hmm. to me. Like that's just not. It didn't feel earned to me. I thought also in this movie a lot about Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah, that movie I've never seen and probably never will. Yeah, and yet we talk about it a lot on this podcast for some reason. My memory of it, I only saw it once a long, long time ago, but my memory of it is that it has a similar kind of like, it's just some worst case scenarios of things kind of put up next to each other that are sort of like thematically related and also just like melodramatically related, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the same level of like hysteria. Yeah. And it has, I think, a similar level of sort of exploitation of like, this is what happens to girls in this world. And like, we're going to we're going to tell it how it is. Like, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to mm-hmm. make it look like everything's OK. But really, you're kind of just also just doing the thing. Yeah. Like you're 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 just kind of also putting women in this position putting your characters in this position yeah and to some extent your actors even though they're like oscar-y actors yes this feels like a really good time for me to reveal one of the rants that i've had locked and loaded about okay this and just culture in general for years yeah so one of the things that critics said about this movie when it came out and critics love this movie when it came out was they said it had a lot of subtle storytelling which is just code for no plot there is no fucking plot. Yeah, I I just really saw the 1997 all over this movie. And maybe history will, maybe if I saw it in another 10 years, I would look on it a little kindlier. But it just like, there was a time in the 90s where I feel like it was just like really cool to like not really have a plot. Like Requiem for a Dream was like that, like mm-hmm. fucking like crash. Mm. Like to just have like a bunch of like little mini plots. Yes. That kind of like some of the faces like look familiar. And then when we started having them interlock and like in Crash, it was like, oh my God, he's the brother. Like what? Like, and that really just blew our whole minds. But like also sometimes there were movies that were just like, here's a, here's some stuff. Yeah. Here's some like loosely connected scene work. Yeah. (laughs) And some of it's fun. But yeah, like I don't, this not. is not the only movie that is guilty of that. That was like that mm-hmm. was like a whole like weight. It was like it was like you know what's been done before, cause and effect. Yes, <laughs> consequences for your actions. The first half of the movie leading to the second half of the movie. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. You know it would be cool if we just. I mean, I guess in some ways this was like it's like yeah he does porn for a while and then it's too much cocaine and then that's like sort of the big arc. But like 
all the little things that happen in there uh, just happen. Yeah. But the other thing that critics said about this movie was they described it as a gentle satire. (laughs) Yes. You said this phrase to me earlier, and I really giggled for a long time because, well, yeah, you you tell them. Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing, friends. Satire is many things. It can be nuanced. It can often be very smart. Uh It is not subtle. It is not gentle. That's not the point. Yeah, like if it's gentle, you didn't satirize. Yes. Satire is one of those words that has come to mean almost nothing nowadays because people just use it to excuse subpar comedy. Sure, yeah. Or to excuse people behaving badly. And they're just saying, oh, they're sort of kind of behaving bad. Like it was often a claim from the right that Rush Limbaugh was using satire when he was just being a dick. Yeah, an asshole. This movie is not a satire of the porn industry because satire, by its very nature, must punch up. Sure. It is very similar to stand-up. It is very similar to clown in that it must punch up. Otherwise, it feels gross. Yeah. A major movie release about an industry that is so deeply disrespected and has been for its entire history. Yeah. For whatever reason, this movie is not satirizing the porn industry. This movie is celebrating the adult film industry. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's using the realm of the adult film industry to play out some melodramatic fantasies that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it is, there is nothing, there is no poking fun happening. No, there's, I think if you were a generous person, you might call some of what it's doing commenting. But I think that's another thing that I'm like, you have to comment a little harder or you're just participating. Yeah. Like you can't, if you, if your comment is just like, oh, me too, not me too. No, I, I know what you meant. <laughs> I also. Yeah. Like if your comment is here early. Yeah. Like. You're not doing anything. Yeah. Like like if, if your comment is totally agree with you, had a similar experience, handled it a little bit differently. That's not really, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you're not saying anything. You're not doing anything. You're not, that's not satire. Right. You're not adding to the conversation. You're only making noises. Like satire to me is even a level of, like, 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 okay, if there's a, if there's a a social phenomenon upon Mm -hmm. which we want to comment, Mm -hmm. like I believe that the, the commentating should be substantive or else you're just throwing more sticks into the pile of whatever you're trying to talk about. Right. But a satire, I think, needs to do even more than that to qualify mm-hmm. for the word. It needs to really, like, pierce the heart of the, the, the forces that underlie the thing, the social thing that you're trying to comment on or satirize. Right. You're not just embodying the thing to demonstrate that there are things about it that are problematic. You are embodying the thing to, like you said, you're, you're getting to the underlying root of why yeah, it is the to, way the it is. the things that make it problematic, you're trying to make, you're not just pointing them out, you're making them embarrassing. That's what yes. you should be doing in a satire. Uh, yes, if you're, if you're doing social commentary, you're pointing out the problems. If you're doing satire, 
you're making the problems embarrassing. Yes. And this movie is doing neither of those things. Right. Because it's barely pointing out the problems and only in this like very obvious broad way. Like we all know. We all know. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need a two and a half hour movie to tell us that the porn industry has problems with its female actors. Yeah. And we know. Yeah. And it's like this movie does kind of discuss that, but it also like romanticizes it so much that it like cancels it out. I feel like. The best example I can think of of satire in modern American society, and for some of our younger listeners, this may not even make sense, is the Colbert Report. Not Late Night with Stephen Colbert, the Colbert Report. Yeah. Because that was specifically a satire of Fox News hosts. Yes. And it worked perfectly. Yes. I forgot about that show, but it was fun. It was great. It was fun for it a was, It was a perfect embodiment of everything that satire is supposed to be because he was so effortlessly straight-faced embodying this insane character. Yes, because he made it look embarrassing to be that. Exactly. So it's like like the, like the Daily Show was Social commentary. commentary. Yeah. And, and the Colbert Report is satire. That is the difference between the two of them. Yeah. And this movie, like you said, was neither of those things. And so calling it a gentle satire is just excusing the shortcomings in its own writing. And like you said, I don't think that gentle, I think gentle satire is a a contradiction in terms. Yes. (laughs) And I just think that you really have to be careful when you set out to like shine a light on something that you're like, this is a hard topic. You really can't just like swing the flashlight around. (laughs) Yeah. You have to decide what you're going to do with it or you just are it now. And I I didn't see any meaningful gestures towards actual like exposure or growth or like this is what we could be doing better. And not that I want my art to be like prescriptive. Yeah. You don't need to have solutions. Right. Yeah. But like you should do more like like I could have just watched porn. (laughs) Yeah. I think I would have had actually a more culturally enriching experience. If if we had found like a seventies like a like one of like one of the movies that they make in yeah. Boogie Nights like like a, a a porn that like purports to have a story yeah I will go so far as to say porno versions of major movie releases yeah are closer to being satirical than this movie is sure yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yes and yet I have never watched one so I that's why I, that's why I'm saying I think it probably would have been like more worth my time yeah as in terms of like minute for discovery the the minute to discovery ratio yeah if we just watched some porn <laughs> Okay, you did bring up before, though, that there's a lot of good acting. I really love John C. Riley, and, like, he does a great job, and he gets a couple, like, scenes where he gets to pop off. I think whatever else about Paul Thomas Anderson, like, he he clearly made his actors feel safe yeah. <laughs> to take big swings on the set, and that is fun to watch. But I yeah. just don't think that it needed to be this. No, it did not. I think I would have still known how charming and bamboozleable John C. Riley is. I think I I think I think I would still know that all those guys had a screw loose. I would still know that uh Julianne Moore can cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Um also last thing on satire, if you doubt my satirical bona fides here, if I can swing my own prop dick around for oh, yeah, a second. I think you should. I can hear the internet chatter coming to correct me. If you're the kind of person who's like, well, you're no expert in satire, I literally am. (laughs) 
You're a trained clown, you guys. <laughs> yes, I am a trained clown, and I studied satire in school. Yeah. Since you bring it up, I have this weird peeve about prosthetic dicks. Say more. I just don't like when movies are like, look, here's a fake dick. And especially the way, spoilers, you guys, like Boogie Nights, like you spend the whole movie talking about how he has like this giant magical dick. And then like part of the way that they get out of the movie, because I mean, the whole second half of the movie, I was like, where are they, like, how are they going to get out of this movie? Like, they don't know. (laughs) There's nothing to wrap up. They haven't given me anything to wrap up. So how will I know when it is wrapped up? Oh, I wanted to check the timestamp so often. It was just the longest two and a half hours of my life. I can't believe that I made it through this entire movie. And you watched Seven Samurai, which is three and a half hours long. Yes. And I would do it again before Boogie Nights. The way that they get out of the movie is like, and now you finally get to see this magical promised dick. Mm-hmm. And it's it's big. It's yeah. It's a big dick. Yeah. But it's not Mark Wahlberg's dick. No. And the reason for that is that Mark Wahlberg's dick is probably normal sized. Yeah. That's one reason, but I guess I feel like, well, listen, if women can't get a job, an acting job without fake boobs, like then maybe you should have to hire James Dean to make Boogie Nights if that's the story that if you need to tell a story. Isn't that his mm. name? It is. Okay. Why are you giving me that face? Cuz uh, he's a predator now. He he's been a he's been done been a predator for a while. Uh, yeah, but doesn't he have a giant schlong? Okay, well, so don't hire him. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not recommending that you hire him. But, like, I don't know. Maybe I just don't actually know anything about porn. Are there people with dicks that big? Yeah. Okay, so maybe you should have to hire one of them and send them to acting lessons. It's just, like, not... It's, like, such a double standard to me. It's, like, not fair. It's, like, well, we can't show Mark Wahlberg's real dick because, like, that's private. Like, only Mark Wahlberg should know the size of his dick. That's asking too much right? for him to, like, do this, like, this role and then also have to share his real dick size. Like, he's playing a character. He's playing a character, and the character has a different dick. Yeah. But it's like, when when has a woman ever gotten to have different tits? That's true. Like, never. Yeah. Your tits are just your tits. Yeah. And yeah. movies are so willing to just show you any old tits that they want. Like, it's, I just, it's not for these actors that I... I'm annoyed, even though I am annoyed for them. That's not my primary concern. I just think it says something really gross to any moviegoer that it's like, this is this is a line we don't cross because dicks are important and sacred to your identity and they're they're for you and no one should have to do that for their job. Yeah, and if you do show male nudity in a movie, it's like so brave for the male actor, but for a... a a woman in the same position doing full frontal in a movie that's not a porno is a one-way ticket to never being taken seriously again with very few I mean, exceptions. Yeah, I can think of a few exceptions, but it's like, but even then it's like the way that it's talked about, like, okay, let's just, let's just talk about Halle Berry's breasts specifically for a minute. They're mm-hmm. okay. So we all know the swordfish thing, right? Where she got paid like extra money. Right? I think you should probably say more about that. Okay, so Halle Berry was in a movie called Swordfish, and um, it was leaked that uh, she didn't want to take her shirt off in it, and so they gave her two million extra dollars, and everybody was like, oh my god, a million dollars per boob, and just like the way that it was talked about as this like 
really um thank you hollywood for shelling out that money like for taking that hit for the team like we're all gonna go to the yeah. movies and see Halle Berry's boobs and it like became and like it was like she'd never done good acting <laughs> mm-hmm. it was like the point of her were those boobs and it had nothing to do with like her choosing that or like you're saying about like jason siegel's penis like Right? Is that who you mean? Yeah, that wasn't who I was thinking of, but that's a good example. <laughs> like when it was like when it was like, wow, like good for him. Yeah. Like he cares about his craft and it makes him more like it makes him brave, but also personable and like mm-hmm. go get him, bro. Mm-hmm. Like it just was not like that at all. And then I I feel that the story of Halle Berry's breasts get even worse because gets even worse because she after that was in a movie called Monsters Ball which I remember being really upsetting. Yeah. And I remember her doing a lot of like, I think it's what she won an Oscar for. It is. I remember her acting being fucking incredible. And I also remember some morning radio host saying that he was excited for this film because he was going to get to see her breasts again. And it it had been leaked that in the scene where she takes her shirt off, she's going to be saying something like make me feel good i can't wait for you to make me feel good something like that and he was like he's like oh this is gonna like oh that i can't wait for that so titillating now if you have seen monsters ball (laughs) it's not like that you guys (laughs) it she does say it but oh boy oh context is everything yes context is everything and it's like but that but there was no context nobody was saying that everybody was like it's like it's like it's like men have the or anyone the male gaze has this power to just take things like completely even without the context of the movie just the tone in her voice just the acting that's happening the lighting everything about that scene is fucking traumatizing as shit yeah and that's like super fine like that's like nobody even everybody's like well i can screen that out because i'm seeing boobs and i can just imagine these words written on a screenplay instead of coming out of her mouth and then i can reimagine them coming out of her mouth as a bond girl mm-hmm. and like that's close enough mm. i think i think about that shit when there's prosthetic penises well the the coda to that too is she won an oscar and then like barely worked yeah that I, I mean, that's a that's a whole question that we could explore because even at, even at the time it was happening, it was like, where did Halle Berry go? Yeah, <laughs> like she was exploding in popularity, and then yeah. she just like bounced. And she was doing that thing that often does work, where she was like pretty girl who was doing pretty girl shit, and then one day she was like, guys, I can really fucking act, and everybody's like, oh hey, she can also really act, but somehow like the boobs just undermined it all and i think i think we should say because i was just also watching a lot of um taffy tiktoks about janet jackson mm-hmm. that this the effects of this are are, are we're, we're probably worse because she is a woman of color yes absolutely what happened to her is a, a much bigger question than just the boobs but that's just like one example of like what i think of when i see a prosthetic penis mm-hmm. and i'm like oh yeah that that director and the like body makeup person like whoever's job it is to make fake dicks like they did this guy a solid because they were like you shouldn't have to do this for your job yeah since we're talking about this last scene where he's standing there with his dick out and just saying i'm a star yeah i'm a bright and shining star i looked at you after that scene was over and i said do you think that's what paul thomas anderson does in the mirror every single morning just pulls his dick out and tells himself that he's a star I mean, yeah, probably, but a part of me also feels like maybe it's just what he wishes that he could do. 
But I don't know. But then the Fiona Apple story, and I'm like, no, he probably does do it. Yeah. So, who is Boogie Nights for? Ugh. I feel like it's for our friends who like Boogie Nights. We were texting with some friends earlier today and talking about how we did not enjoy this movie, and both of them were like, oh, I like this one. I don't know why. I don't know what they like about it, truly. Watch, I was going to say watch it with the sound off, but we like the sound. It's like watch it with the dialogue off, but that's not even an option. That's not a setting. It's not for anyone. You don't need to watch it. You do not need to watch it. It's not for anyone. The 70s have been done better. All of the people that are good in it have been good in other things, better in other things. It doesn't make any points. (laughs) It has a couple sort of interesting scenarios. There are a couple of scenes that are good. The opening scene, I think, is really good. Yeah. But if you want to watch um, a movie with an opening scene like that, just watch The Birdcage. It's the same opening scene. Sure. And then you get to watch The Birdcage. It does. It starts with a really long uh, one-er. And there are a few more, like, really long shots that, like, follow Mm -hmm. somebody around. And, like, that's It's cool craft. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's cool. Cool craft. Yeah. I mean, the scene where they try to rob Alfred Molina is fun. Yeah. Just because it's insane. But I guess that scene to me is, like, go watch any Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes, that and is true. And the whole movie will be that. That is very true. And the dialogue will be zippier. Yeah. And that is the nicest thing that I've ever said about Quentin Tarantino. It's the nicest thing need be said about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Thing, I do think Reservoir Dogs has a, has a lot of uh, like pathos. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just feel like I left that movie with like a little bit of like of like sort of seeing bond, be behind the veil into like what is the human condition? Yeah. And I I didn't see any human condition in Boogie Nights that I don't have regular access to. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend this to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. I feel like this no, is our I biggest pan not. since Chinatown. I no, I would not recommend it to anyone. I would unrecommend it. If someone told me they were considering watching it, I would be like, "Please just watch Titanic." Literally any movie from 1997. Yeah. If someone came up to you at a party, <laughs> And was like, my favorite movie is Boogie Nights. What's what's happening? I'm leaving the party. Yeah. I don't feel safe here. Yeah, that is a huge red Your flag. Your favorite movie? Yeah. I'm not trying to come for our friends who think that it's good. But if it is your favorite movie, I, I can't with that. Yeah. I do understand what those friends were talking about when they were like, oh, Babylon is just a worse version of Boogie Nights, because I do think that that is true. Yeah. More chaotic, and we only watched a third of it, so I don't know, more chaotic and even less of a point. Yeah. More indulgent. Yes, more indulgent. Yeah, I would be very concerned, particularly if the person talking to me was a man. Yo, yeah. Okay. Um, Straight man whose favorite movie is Boogie Nights, that is scary to me. Uh, it didn't even occur to me to consider the possibility that someone other than a straight man was saying this to me. I don't think that person exists. Unless it's someone who's genuinely trying to, like, unless they're trying very hard to, like, get the attention of a straight man whose attention I also don't want, in which case I'm also leaving the party. Yes, this definitely feels like part of the, like, toxic film bro canon. It really yes. feels like the critical community, when this movie came out, either was just like in a very different place than it would be now or similar to Chinatown just sort of like all got together and were like so we we like we like this we like what this is yeah i think sometimes in the moment people get bamboozled by a lot of bravado and style 
and I think his trick was working at the time of being like, I just like, it's just like gritty and it's just like how it is. Like, I think now looking at it, I'm like, okay, porn. Yeah. But I think in 1997 being like, it's a movie about porn and we're going to like actually talk about people fucking on mm-hmm. camera. Like, I think that really, I think people were like, this is cutting edge shit. I just also didn't love, like, it made such a point of being like, Mark Wahlberg's a gentleman, but I, I just, like, didn't love, I, 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 didn't, I didn't love any of it. Like, the scene where, fuck, not Lauren, Heather. Yes. Graham. Burt Reynolds makes them fuck. Burt Reynolds, who does and a great like, job in this movie, and I thought was very yes, well cast. Yes, we should, we should, we should bring up how great Burt Reynolds is in this movie. Yeah. He really, uh, he, 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 he brings it. He really does. He, he, the look is right. The vibe is right. Yeah. I, I got, I got him. Yeah. And there were, there were, I don't know about like a lot of layers, but like a couple of sides. Yeah. A couple of sides to Bert. But yeah, like, like I think we're supposed to feel pretty good and titillated about him being like, yeah, have sex now to show me that it's going to be good on film. Mm -hmm. And like, Heather Graham is like very willing and Mark Wahlberg is like, oh my God, she's so foxy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, we all know what porn really is. Like, we all know how these things really happen. Like, we all know the real, we all know the real shit of porn. And it's like, yes, that day she's like, oh yeah, of course. But like all of the days that went into creating a person that is like at the drop of a hat, like, yes, I will fuck you right now in front of these people delighted to do so. A lot of those days were bad days. Especially in the 70s. Yeah. I just don't feel that the movie had a lot to say about anything. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, feels silly to ask, is it in your curriculum? No. Absolutely not. Just give it a big skipperoonie. Yeah. You and if anyone ever tries to make you feel bad, that's what we're here for. If anyone ever tries to make you feel the way that I felt a week ago before I sat through this dumbass movie... Tell them that we told you it's okay. Yeah. I wish someone had told that to me so that I didn't have to lose that so that we could have watched whatever, five more episodes of Housewives instead of this dumbass movie. Yes. And if you must watch a mid-90s movie from a annoying male filmmaker, just go watch Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is a better movie than this. And I know it's overexposed and I know a lot of people are like, oh, Pulp Fiction's overrated. This movie's overrated. Yes. This movie is way overrated. Just go watch Pulp Fiction. It's going to be a more enjoyable time. Yeah. Because it is trying things. Yes. <sighs> God, I fucking hated this movie. There's just a lot more, like, cleverness going on in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. A lot quippier. Quippier. The, the machete timeline is, it, like, keeps you engaged. Yeah. And there's some problematic stuff in there, like the whole Gim sequence should probably not have been made and i don't think works anymore but like so much of this movie doesn't work and shouldn't have been made yeah like you said william h macy kills three people no consequences never discussed again yeah like i really thought that that was gonna be because that's like sort of the first like big bad thing that happens i really thought that that was gonna like all it did was like signal a tone change in the movie i really thought it was gonna be like now this thing happened like at this producer's house like, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to, like, cause problems for them. Right, and it didn't. And it did not at all. Not even, like, psychological ones. None of them ever mentioned it again. None of them ever mentioned William H. Macy 
in the first place. Like, what is what is he doing there? What is his relationship? There's just, like, men floating around the first half of this movie. Well, and then, like I said, like, Don Cheadle's just floating around. There's just, like, people that it's, like, now we're, I don't know. It's Yeah, like, Don Cheadle gets denied a bank loan because they're, like, you're a pornographer. And he's, like, I'm an actor. And I'm, like, I don't know you're either Are of those things like- because I've never seen you in any of the movies within the movie here. Yeah. Like, you're not in any of them. You're just at the house party. So's Luis Guzman. Yeah. And at least I've seen him in the movies within the movie. Yeah. Sidebar, how has Luis Guzman been so inescapable in our lives over the last, like, month? I know. The Luis like, Guzman meta text has been really fun. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, Luis Guzman is having a cultural moment. It's just we keep picking we things keep to watch things. and he keeps showing and up and we're like, is, yeah. how the fuck is he here again? Yeah. How did he get here? In between watching the first and second halves of Boogie Nights, we watched the third episode of BoJack Horseman. Because yeah. I am trying to get my household into BoJack Horseman because it's just like not ceasing to be a reference point for me and I feel I'll be better understood. But that is, uh, dear readers, if you don't recall, that is the episode that introduces us to Sarah Lynn and like her career and how damaging it has been to her to be like famous young and to be sexualized young the way that she was and like how that just like never leaves you and then also like there's some like daddy issue stuff in the episode like i don't know it just that that was a that was fun meta text to me too to just like slip that into the middle i was Mm -hmm. like oh i think that's another thing that you could watch instead of boogie nights you guys just go watch bojack horseman yeah and you're gonna get in delightful 22 minute digestible bites you're going to get such a, a a much more like fierce and prescient commentary than Boogie Nights could ever dream to be. Yes. And also sometimes some cuter design and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So where can people find you on TikTok? <laughs> I am at Trash Analysis. You can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Anxious Archfey. You can find the show on Twitter at Sophisticate Pod. Please continue to like and subscribe and rate and review our show. Uh, we continue to tick upwards towards our goal of reviewing and watching Twilight. And until next time, that about does it for us here at I'm a Sophisticate and so can you. Until next time, good night and good luck. <laughs>